Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 57. It is good to be with you once again. Um, Facebook was just reminding me this morning that one year ago today I was promoting episode 7 of this podcast, and one year later, here I am uh, recording the introduction to episode number 57. Now, this is actually a little strange for me in uh, a couple of ways. In all previous episodes up to this point, at a bare minimum, I'm recording this portion of the podcast um, no later than the night before I release the episode. So I record it on, say, a Thursday, uh, usually before then, so sometimes earlier that week or around a Thursday morning, maybe Thursday night if things are going kind of hectically. And then uh, I schedule it as an upload for Friday morning. And every podcast that I've released as a, uh, a numbered episode has come out on a Friday morning at about 5 a.m. Eastern time. And uh, so today is different. This is a Friday morning, and uh, right now it's about 10.30, and I am recording this for, for this week. It's just been one of those weeks that there was just no way, especially yesterday, it was a very busy Thursday, uh, there was no way I was going to have both the energy and the time at the same time to be able to record this. But uh, So that's all a long way of saying uh, this is going to be out probably about six hours later than normal, but I guess that's not too bad, uh, especially now that we're, we're going every other week. Um, and again, that is a not an ironclad schedule, but it's something that will probably be trying to keep consistent as much as we can. So every two weeks, I will try to get you a new episode. Now, although I'm recording this portion and uh, the final portion of this episode today right now, just literal uh, minutes before I post it (laughs) uh, so that you can listen to it, the interview that I'm about to share is one that I did several weeks ago, and I have to just give a special mention about the weather on that day. So this is the only episode that I've done, probably against my better judgment, with a raging thunderstorm going on outside. It was a pending thunderstorm when we got started, so you'll hear me mention it early on. But uh, by probably the middle of the episode through the end, it, it, it sounds like whenever I'm speaking that I'm either outside in a windstorm, or I've got like a washing machine or something going on right next door. Uh, And if you listen closely, you'll hear some thunderclaps every now and then, but it was kind of crazy weather. And uh, I'm sure my mom, um, if if she were here to to, uh, correct me, she would definitely not be pleased that I was playing around with electrical equipment while there was a raging thunderstorm outside. But no harm done this time, and I will try not to do it again. Okay, today I'm talking to Alex Terrell. He is a resident of Rhode Island, has worked with um, so many shows. Uh, We'll talk about a few of them uh, in regional professional theater, colleges and community theater, uh, mostly in Rhode Island, but also some in Connecticut and uh, other parts of New England. 
and uh, we'll be talking to him about uh, theater in that area, but we'll also be tying it into a past couple of episodes that I did with John Eldridge talking about keyboard programming. Um, as he mentioned in that episode, he uses other talented individuals to help him with his keyboard sounds, and one of those individuals is Alex Terrell. So he's done some of the programming for John Eldridge at uh, Stage Sounds. And the uh, other thing that we talk about, though, is one of the things that uh, a music director will sometimes have to do, because we don't often get to budget the full pit, either due to space or, or just due to the lack of money. So one of the things that a, that a good music director needs to be able to do and sometimes spend the time doing is changing the orchestration or what we call reducing the orchestration. So you, your, your pit may call for 14 people, but maybe you only have six or seven. Um, probably the most extreme example I think I've ever done is uh, worked with someone else to get a 19-piece um, book down to, or it may have been 17-piece book, I'm not sure, it was high teens, but down to six players. And so that took quite a bit of work, uh, but um, it, it is a special art form to do that and not sound like you've lost, uh, you know, best uh, worst case scenario, make, make it sound like you haven't lost much. But in best case, really not sound like you lost anything at all. And really good orchestrators uh, can do that. So we'll talk about some of the techniques involved with that. Uh, again, as well as Rhode Island Theater. Here is my conversation with Alex Terrell. So, Alex, thank you for taking time to chat with me today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so just go ahead and tell us, uh, first of all, where it is that you're from. And, you know, what, I guess in kind of a normal year, like after COVID restrictions lift, what does a work week look like for you? <laughs> oh, well, that's that's an interesting question always because yep. the way that I work, it, it could be different every week. But right. uh, so I am now living in Cumberland, Rhode Island. But for, for those of you who are not familiar with the smallest state in the union, right. um, Providence, Rhode Island would be maybe the, the name that you would know. And I actually did live in Providence for many years, but I've moved just a little bit north to get my own place. Uh, so I did that back in September. And right. uh, so a normal work week for me, if, if things are back to normal, um, a lot of the work that I do is at the Stadium Theater Performing Arts Center in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, which is at the very top of the state, um, but a little bit closer to where I am now. It's only about a 20 minute drive. I mean, it was easily accessible via Providence as well. But, um, but that's right. where I do a lot of my work. Um, it's a community theater, but we have uh, amazing facility. It's a uh, 1920s. Um, vaudeville house that has been lovingly restored and um, and we we do a, a full season of shows there um, and uh, I'm kind of the guy at this point I'm, I'm doing the whole season uh, as we come back so very excited about that um, as nice. music director I'll be nice music director. so yeah. so it took me a while but I finally figured out how to think of Rhode Island in my mind I looked at mm -hmm. I looked at how you know this the square mileage you know the area of the state and compared that with where I lived for four years, which was Jacksonville, Florida. Mm. And ja Jacksonville, Florida, it, it's unique in that it basically takes up almost the entirety of its county. So it takes up almost all of Duval County because Jacksonville just kept buying out all of the, like, suburbs you know, mm. and just folding it into Jacksonville. So 
right below that in, uh, I believe it's St. John's County, is a little town called Orange Park. And, and you really can't, you can't tell when you've left Jacksonville and gone into Orange Park. So just take Jacksonville plus Orange Park. And that is the size of Rhode Island. <laughs> I imagine we're a little bit more population dense, but uh, oh yeah, probably yeah. there's like a million people and all that. So, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but you know that as far as like, <clears throat> how long does it take to drive oh, yeah. somewhere? Because I because I had to go all over that area. So I was like, I was just imagining this is a state. <laughs> yep. We we literally have this thing yeah. that if you have to cross a bridge, you need to pack a lunch. All right. <clears throat> because the, the, it's called the Rhode Island mentality of, of of travel. So if you're if you're where I live, but you need to go to um, Aquidneck Island, which is where Rhode Island actually the name comes from, it was that island. Right. But if you're going to go there, you need to pack a lunch and you know pay the toll, right. that kind of thing. Nice. Yeah. I, and you know, because you know, my wife and I were, uh, you know, we were looking at a visit that didn't turn out, but we uh, <laughs> looked at all of New England, and you know, it's th- those states are so interesting. It's like you, Connecticut. Uh, New Hampshire, uh, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island specifically, and to a point, Vermont's like all kind of tiny states. I think I think like all of those are in like are, are like among the eight or nine smallest states you mm-hmm. know that there yep. are, and you can just get around. Vermont, I think, is small, but it's it's like it's the non ninety five states. Like you have to right. actually want to go to Vermont. You can't <laughs> exactly. accidentally get there. Uh, but then you got Maine. Which isn't is you know I looked at the statistics. It's not as big as I, I thought it was, but it just looks like a giant compared to the other yep. New England states. <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, we were thinking you know it'd be nice to say that we went to Maine and people kept saying, well, while you're there, you got to go to like Acadia National Park. You got to go to yep. this, yep. and you got to go to all these places. And I looked at where they were. It's like that's a long ways from the state line, and. Then you look at like the the way the roads go in the coastline. It's like as the bird flies, it's like three hundred miles to get all the way through, but it would take you like ten hours. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because I'm actually looking at, at taking a little trip up to Maine to see the national park and all that, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be like a six hour drive. I have to plan, right. you know, I have to plan how I'm going to do that. And right, but I haven't and, taken a few road trips before, but right. And according to the wonderful travel guides of Stephen King. Um, apparently tourist season really picks up in the summer, you know, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it gets pretty crowded there. So, mm-hmm. so just talk about getting into music and, um, you know, what, how old were you when you picked up an instrument and what was that? So my, my music background goes back to the very beginning. I actually have cassette tape recordings of my mother singing to me as an infant. Nice. <laughs> which is kind of, I, I, a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, I better digitize these and you know, kind of capture them before something happens. But um, so there's that. But like pretty much as a child, uh, any time I could find a musical instrument, I would want to play play it. So like my my grandfather had a Yamaha organ. So anytime I was over, I'd try to play that. My cousin had a couple little of those Yamaha, you know, the tiny, tiny keyboards that sound kind of like a DX7. Right. Those kind of things. Right. And so I'd play one of those and I eventually got my own little one. I did take some some group piano lessons at the mall mm-hmm. as like a, a five-year-old or a six-year-old but it, it you know it wasn't really for me and my fingers could not handle the full-size keys so I started doing clarinet and chorus in elementary school and then when I when I moved uh, to East Providence for sixth grade I did recorder band and um, gave the the clarinet one more shot in seventh grade but it was in eighth grade my my English teacher was trying to convince the boys to join chorus 
mm-hmm. and I ended up being the only boy in the eighth grade chorus. Right. And I had a, a friend there, Tracy Ritchie, who played piano and wrote her own songs, and that kind of got got the bug on me. And I'm like, oh, I, I kind of want to do this too. And so when I got into high school, there was musical theater. They had a program. They were doing the whiz. I foolishly auditioned thinking that I would get a, a lead role nice, or something. They cast me in the tech crew, okay. <laughs> which apparently is a thing. Right. <laughs> they cast me, but I was there. So I went right. to rehearsals. I was there. And one day someone wasn't there. Oh, Alex, can you be in this scene? Yes. Okay. That's my thing. Uh, then another person wasn't there and they gave me the role of the messenger. And so I had some lines. And so, you know being present, uh, I learned from an early age, you know, being present, being, being there, you know, kind of gets you some opportunities. Yeah. Uh, and from there, uh, the next year they did Fame the Musical and I, you know, I was in the cast. They, they cast me as Mr. Scheinkoff, the, the music professor, kind of uncannily. Uh, but I said to the, the music director, the, the choir teacher, I'm like, hey, can I play keyboard when I'm not on stage? And she said, yes. So I played in the pit and that was the first time I, I played a show. And Kind of from there, I, I've never really stopped. Uh, I music directed my first show at 16 right. uh, with a, a youth group that I that my friend formed at her um, her Portuguese club, and we did Annie. And again, I literally have not stopped since, and it's been almost 20 years now. Right. How old were you, were you when you first played in a pit? You? Uh, that prob- I probably would have been 15 or 16. Okay. We kind of took care of the music and the theater uh, at uh, the same time. So back on episode 38 and 39, I talked to John Eldridge, and yep. we, uh, it's like I see so far the only two-part episode we've had because we, we had so much to talk about <laughs> over two different days. And uh, we talked a lot about uh, programming keyboards and his business, which is called Stage Sounds. Um, so tell us about your tie-in to John Eldridge. So uh, we met online basically through you know, the, the various uh, online Facebook groups that there are, theater music directors or professional music directors now. Right. Um, so, and we're, you know, we're kind of in the same area. He works up in the, I guess, the north of Boston area, and I'm kind of south of Boston area. Right. Um, so we haven't even met in person. We've only, you know, interacted on online. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I've kind of built up my catalog of, of shows, and when he was putting stage sounds together, he asked me if I would be a contributing programmer, more or less to kind of clean up the stuff that I already have mm-hmm. and make it available for for rental. Right, right. And so, so what you do? Let's just uh, you know, I, oh, I can't, break I, it down. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, I can't assume everybody has has right. heard this episode. So you um, you program uh, main stage, right? Yes. I mean, I started off uh, working with Kurzweil keyboards. They were the the standard for a very long time on Broadway and tours and things. I I saw my first Kurzweil in a pit mm-hmm. um, for Jesus Christ Superstar. I think it was back in two thousand three, and I'm like, that's the sound. Yep. And so I I you know when I was first able to buy a keyboard, that's what I bought, and I wow. I'm still playing them. But they're wow. not the most fun things to program a show on today when right. you can do it on the computer and you can do it almost twice as fast right. instead of literally typing on on the keypad to to write text exactly yep mm-hmm. um and so like what are some of the shows that you've done oh man uh, <laughs> you've th- th- there's a long list uh, at least to, to program the ones that i have uh available right now on stage sounds are rogers and hammerstein's cinderella mm-hmm. uh, so that's the, the latest broadway version and right. also rock of ages 
Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm also working on chess right now, uh, the London stage version. I played a concert version of that uh, last, um, I don't want to say last year, it was probably two years ago. Right. Uh, and uh, so I'm cleaning that up for licensing because I don't think anyone really has that available right now. Maybe one company does. Um, so there's that. I'm probably going to be doing the full version of Les Mis. And there's a whole list of things that, that nice. we're all kind of being assigned out to work on. Rock of Ages keyboard book has a great sound in there that they label Journey Piano. <laughs> yes. Yep. And uh, for, for me, it's just about, uh, it was just about dialing in the right amount of, I think it was a chorus effect. That's kind of really all it is. They just took a, a regular, you know, probably Yamaha grand and just threw a, threw a chorus effect on it and called it a day. Right. Yeah. I, I think when I did it, I, um, <laughs> I'm, I did like a 60 well, 65-35 mix of piano, electric piano. You know, oh, like, of, a, yeah. like a CP70 or something? Because that would work yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. So it's like it sounds like a piano, but it sounds like there's an electric piano playing yeah. with you, yeah. you know? So, yep. And yep. I can't remember what else I did, but I just called it Journey Piano, saved it to mine. But mm -hmm. but yeah, that was the old typing way. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And I probably still have that sound on there. I don't think I've had to use it for anything else, but... Uh, it's hard to say. It's been a long time. I did that show back in 2017, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I did it right before Beauty and the Beast, and we had one of the one of the same actors. The guy that plays Lumiere um, is like one one of the um, I forgot. I cannot remember the characters' names on there, but basically, <laughs> quite a bit different language between those two shows. It's pretty well, funny. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh man. Um, so you reached out to me, uh, you know, having heard uh, the episodes with John Eldridge, um, and you you talked to me about some other things that you did. And one of the things you mentioned was that you do a lot of um, orchestrations and transcriptions. And um, just, let's just just talk about that. But also, yeah. um, I want to talk about um, you know you do a lot of reduced orchestrations. So yeah. I'm kind of interested in what. First of all, what's the technique for that? And also, why? You know, what, what's the rationale for sure. that? Sure. Maybe I'll get into the why first. Um, yeah. You know, in, in various theaters, budget can be an issue, and the, maybe the size of your space can be the issue, sometimes both. Right. Um, at the stadium, uh, so it's a, it's a vaudeville pit. We have a, a World Sir organ console that is permanently in the pit. Mm -hmm. We have a, uh, a baby grand piano that sometimes has to live in the pit because we just don't have any space in the wings. Mm -hmm. um, so, so for practical reasons, sometimes you need to reduce or, or budget. Um, and I've kind of come up with a bit of a system that at least kind of works in that space. And so the, the, the answer to the question would be different depending on what the size of the space is that you have to work with. So in the case of the stadium, uh, around 11 has kind of been the number right. that I, I frequently get. So there's kind of two different approaches that I would take to reducing. One would be to, to build up from the piano vocal score, and the other would be to pare down from whatever you have right. been supplied with. Um, so if I was going to build up, I would you know, always have a piano, uh, bass, percussion, and then I would start looking at my color instruments. So you may have right. a couple reeds, you may have a trumpet or a trombone, a French horn, that kind of thing. So it's all about you know, choosing, choosing things wisely, but also being mindful of what the writing is that you have. So right. there's a lot of prep work that goes in, into you know, studying the scores and, and trying to figure out who's doing what where. 
Um, I always like to try to, to capture the essence of what the orchestrator was intending. Mm -hmm. So it may, you know, it may be scary, scaled down, but you're still going to capture a lot of the same melodic writing that right. the orchestrator has laid out. The other method would be to take, you know, take a completed orchestration and pare down or what can I, what can I, you know, pare out or what can I patch to another instrument? Right. Uh, patching is kind of what I call it, where you're literally sometimes just cutting and pasting bars and putting them, you know, into another part or a comparable right. part or something like that. Um, sometimes you have to be a little bit careful, you know, licensing wise or certain, you know, contracts may have certain restrictions on what you are or not allowed to do. Right. Um, what I do though is, is again, I'm trying to trying to make the orchestrator's vision work with a with a smaller complement. Right. Yeah. And uh, and and is, I was just thinking about the pared down approach. Like, uh, you know, I have had to do that with some shows, and it seems like for ninety five percent or more of the people who come to the listen to it, you know, it's like they can't tell anything. There's always that five percent. Like when we did Chicago, you know, I think mm -hmm. it's like a nineteen piece. Uh, thirteen. Thirteen. Is it 13? thirteen piece? It, it yep. is. Okay, thirteen. Sorry. Yep, get, no. get that confused with Les Mis. I think that's a nineteen piece. Fifteen. <laughs> you're gonna have to forgive me. I know all these numbers oh, nice. so well. I'm a total nerd when it nice. comes to orchestration. Nice. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, so Chicago's a thirteen piece. Um, yep. But I had to negotiate like crazy to get eight pieces. You know, for a oh show, man, yeah. So, um, so I said, okay, well, I got to have two keyboards, got to have the bass tubist. And I was just amazed mm -hmm. that I knew not one, but two in my area that could do that. Lucky you. <laughs> it was a challenge for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I knew that I, I had to have at least one trombone, one trumpet yep. and, uh, percussion, of course. And, uh, so if I, if I gone through eight, I think so. I'm not sure. Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah. re, a re, and I had to have a replayer, yeah. had to have a replayer. Yeah. So, but you know, there there were a few musicians. It's like, sure wish you had the banjo. <laughs> yep, yep. But well, that's the thing. You get to a point you're like, oh, I'm so close, or like, yeah. oh, I just want that that sound. You know. Yeah, and I can't remember. There was another show that was like that. Um, you know, like I've wondered, like I've got a show coming up uh, next year. I'll be doing Into the Woods for the first time. Very nice. And yeah. um, you know, I think I can do like almost all the orchestration but oh that's nice but, yeah but but it's one of those i think i think i may have to leave out a couple and 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 i may end up having to do the thing where they say you know you should have at least two violinists per part or something like that it's like maybe not <laughs> we might have one per part <laughs> it is it is written one per part but they share they share books yeah so and if i yeah. may make my recommendation yeah. um horn two is almost always unison or tacit okay and there's one or two spots where it actually has something that's different. So horn two might be your your exception. I'm nice. it's actually on my docket too. I'll be doing it in February. So yeah, I've got I'm the planning uh, it too. I've got the scores for perusal, and I'm trying to make the decision. Um, and and I put this on one of the theater, uh, one of the groups. It may have been professional music directors mm -hmm. group or something like that. But I asked uh, if you're if you know you have to play. It's like you know that's just oh, yes. in the budget. Yep. Do you, is that a book that you play from piano one or piano two? Because I have played from piano two, like, uh, you know, I did that with Little Shop of Horrors, mm -hmm. uh, just because it really wasn't a lot of playing and I could, you know, keep that going. Mm -hmm. And I would say 90% of the responses I got was stick conduct and play piano two, two by writing in what you need in the yep. piano vocal score. Yep. Um, 
just because it is, you know, it is one of the harder scores to play. It uh, is, yeah. And it's not, it, it's one of those, I mean, I was just looking at the rhythms, you know, the cast has to do. I'm going to have to teach them to count all the rests. And I just think that's a potential nightmare if you don't have somebody cueing the actors. But if you're playing piano one, you cannot get your hands up. So oh, it's yeah. like, maybe if you had an abundance of rehearsal time and could kind of get your head signals in line. You know? That's actually one where if yeah. you had a smaller orchestra, I think you would probably be able to manage a little bit better. Right. Um, this, when I did it with uh, uh, the art school that I taught at, we, we did it a black box production and mm -hmm. I was kind of trying to conceive it for that group. And, you know, it's one of those things where if I had known now what I knew then, or did I do that backwards? Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, right. if, if I had if I if I knew then what I know now, right. Um, maybe I would have played the piano part and, and I had a I had another faculty accompanist who played the main piano book. I was just kind of covering and I had some students on some other parts, but it is one of those shows where there's just a lot going on, a lot to manage, and it I I can't imagine trying to to conduct that show, at least with the the full orchestra. Right. And and, yeah. and keeping everyone Quite and, together. and this will be for me a brand new theater it's like i've never played in this venue so it's like i you know i don't even have a really good conception another one that i was supposed to do one time and actually it's is there's there is a theater in this area doing it and you know i haven't like decided if i'm going to like try to get in music directing that or not but it's uh parade by jason mm -hmm. robert brown yep you know i did i played that show on on um like the accordion book okay. you know yep and i can't think of anything i would leave out every every single instrument there's crucial you got i mean the the bass clarinet the reed book with the bass clarinet is kind of definitive um both of the string parts uh i mean like the violin and the viola and the cello it's like i mean they're all needed the obviously bass percussion you know is is all very crucial and then the french horn it's like, I, I don't think it, I can't think of anything I, that it's like, if you're going to do live, you need to have everything. <laughs> for that. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the shows today are already reduced or they're written specifically for small, small, you know, spaces right. or small areas where what, what would you lose? What would you take right. out? What can you take out and, and, and not lose a whole element of, of the show? Exactly. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Well, let's talk about some of the work that you you said you've done specifically as like an orchestrator and an arranger. Uh, so you did Stadium Christmas Spectacular in 2018, and then you've done a couple of years of Christmas Carol 2019, and apparently this year. Uh, well, yeah, it's going to be coming coming up. Yeah. So uh, the Stadium Christmas Spectacular was something that they they were doing for a while. It was kind of a big, um, kind of like a a variety show, mm -hmm. you know, for the holidays. And uh, the, that year that, that we did it, um, where I, I was pretty much asked to, you know, orchestrate and arrange everything. So we would, you know, take various different songs. I remember doing, oh, we, so we, we opened with, um, oh my goodness, uh, Andy Williams mm -hmm. with uh, Most Wonderful Time of the Year and right. um, Happy Holidays. And so I just did a literal takedown. I just, you know, I, I just, you know, sit um, at my computer with my headphones with Finale open and I'm just trying to write write charts that sound something like it it's it's kind of fun for me at least to you know uh to to do that put it on the page and then go put it in front of musicians and hear it you know in person right it's kind of a a wild thing to me um 
granted, I don't think I've ever worked harder in my life than I did on that show, just trying to, to crank out all the orchestrations for all the songs in, in, in a couple of weeks. I, I, I could have started sooner, but you know, you right. think, oh, I can get it done. <laughs> I can crank that out. Right. And then up until the day of the show, I'm writing charts. <laughs> I, I got to thank my, my orchestra for, for bearing with me, just plopping charts in front of them. Okay, here you go. <laughs> Let's right. make it work. <laughs> Thankfully, I have some amazing players that, that can pretty much sight read anything I throw at them. Nice. I've, I've been very fortunate in that regard. Nice. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, in just case I forget to mention this in the introduction, I'm just going to tell my listeners uh, if you if you hear like a percussion section going on, it's because it's thundering in my house right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, anyways, in um, the house? <laughs> yeah, well, out, outside, yeah. Um, so, you, you mentioned uh, Finale. So, you're a Finale user? Yeah, I've been using Finale. Uh, since at least version 2000 um okay. I was in high school and i started then and i you know once you once you've learned it you're right. it's it's i mean i've looked at sibelius over the years and it's just kind of like ribbon no i mean i've already learned all this in finale or or you have to relearn things in finale when they decide to move things i, I don't know if you're a finale user yeah yourself, yeah it's but, actually uh, finale 98 is where i came in so okay yep <laughs> um yep. yeah so um just to kind of pitch another podcast, do, do, I don't know if you listen to it already. There's a podcast called Scoring Notes. They also have a okay. blog. Okay. And they don't sponsor anyone. They they talk pretty, uh, you know, pretty evenly about Finale, Sibelius, Dorico, and occasionally Muse Score. Like yeah. They 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 cover like all the major uh, notation programs. But they they did one recently, and the episode was called where in the world is dot 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 or mm -hmm. something like that and they 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 went over some shortcut tips and i knew a few of them but i didn't know all of them and one of them i i went ahead and tried to make sure i knew how to do it uh, and you may know this already but it's it's, it's what's called repitch on and and what it is is like so whatever way you want to input something let's say you've got a rhythm pattern that's continuing like maybe it's it's in um, I don't know brass and maybe just like da 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 dun 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 da dun dun you know and then maybe the you know the chords change but that rhythm's constant. You put two measures of that in, and then you you paste it all all over where you need it, and it could be any note. And then you go to the simple notation tool, the simple entry tool, and like there's a little circle, a little whole note with like a I don't know I'm I'm not sure it's like maybe the it's a special looking whole note, but you, it's called repitch. You, you, you click that, it puts a cursor on it. And then you just go to your keyboard with mm. two hands and play what you want. And it'll automatically go to the next note. It'll skip over rests and it'll just change it to whatever you want. I did not know about that. Yeah. I, I tried that. And, mm -hmm. and also, um, the implode and explode features, like you can put all of like your entire brass section on one staff. And then you can use. Oh, it'll actually fill it out for you. Yeah. Well. 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 No. You put it on one staff, and yep. then you you make your selection, and you hit explode to put yeah. one note on each yeah. staff. And it's like, yep. yeah, I've been doing this bad wrong the whole time. <laughs> you know. So those are those are things that are really cool. So yeah. Uh, so yeah. If you if we do have composers, arrangers, and music directors, of course, who have to uh, wear the arranger hat. Um, you know, I mean, first of all, I'd say, I think we did, we mentioned that in an episode, like what kind of gear should you have? I don't know if we talked about the type of software, but music directors, if you are having to arrange some things, you do need a notation software. 
And and I'm just going to go ahead and, and and just say it again. So, you know, Finale, Sibelius, Dorica, which I don't know, but apparently a lot of people are getting into that. And then, you know, Muse Score is another one. But I would say uh, there, there may be another one like that out there. But it's it, called like Lilypad. I can't remember. Yeah, which one that is. But uh, um, but with notation software, yeah. you do get what you pay for. And if you're finding it free online, it's just a crappy piece of software. <laughs> Most Although, of the time, MuseScore uh, is free, right? I believe uh, that's yeah. Open that might source. Be, that might be that might be an exception. The open source yeah. I think helps, but I mean I can't tell you how many times that like. My students will find something oh, sure. online yeah. that someone posted for free, and, and I'm like, you can just tell. Yeah, my my very first notation software, um, because when I was in college, I was poor, uh, so I found a program it was called Rhapsody, and it was for Windows, okay. and and it got the job done. But I've got some of those scores, and I look at them, and it's like, wow, that that was really bad. But it was better than my handwriting, you know. So yeah. it was uh, it was that. But, uh, you know, I didn't know how to, like, do anything quickly, you know, with that. So I, I did a 22-minute 20, orchestra piece, you know, full orchestra <laughs> on that thing. And that was just just amazing. Uh, but, yeah, when I finally got to grad school and was studying film scoring, you know, it's like i got to have finale now. It's like because we were having to, you know, on the regular print off things for people to play. And, and I just needed something I could do a little bit better. But... Uh, I'd hate to go back to Finale '98. It's like it's so much better right. now. <laughs> I mean, so Finale was also the 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 notation software choice when I was in college in, right. in undergrad. So we had to do it, and I, I I still kind of regret to this day not listening to the theory professor when he insisted that we use speedy entry. Oh yeah. Um, he he would he made a big point about using speedy entry all the time, and I was like, no, I just want to click it in. And the yeah. amount of hours that, of my life that I have spaced uh, wasted. Uh, not using speedy entry, I cannot count them because once I did force myself to learn how to use it, at least for yeah. the for the the process of entering, like say I'm yeah. doing reduction and I I do need to put it into finale and and, and enter it in. Oh my gosh, it's so fast oh, yeah. compared to the mouse. You could never go back. Exactly. Go back. Yeah. Yeah. For actually uh, writing and orchestrating, I still actually like to do that with the mouse just so I have a little more control in my head over the line. I don't know if you've seen right. any of the uh, the interviews with with the orchestrators, the wonderful Zoom uh, Zoom orchestration masterclasses that we've had in the last year. A lot of them still work by pencil, but I kind of like liken using the mouse in Finale to, to right. using a pencil, still having a little bit more control over writing the line. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I'm getting to where I changed. I, I, I did stuff with pencil so long, and I still like to do that to a point, but like I'm... Um, I'm starting to arrange another musical, but but I'm starting with the transcription phase of getting the songs that the songwriters have done onto notation. You know, just just writing them out, and um, and I I think when I did that for their last show, I started off with just you know writing it out and then putting it in finale, and then I'm like, no, I uh, let's let's cut a step here. It's like I, because this is like you know, an hour and a half show. Let's, let's go straight into finale. So it's, it's where I'm, I'm trying to do a better job, but I know that, you know, when it comes to composing and arranging, people have a lot of different styles. Some people just like on logic or, you know, pro tools or whatever mm -hmm. their DAW is, they just click record and start, start doing that. <laughs> and I think it depends on the project, yeah. you know, depends on the project or, or just, right. you know, whatever your, whatever your workflow is going to be. Right. 
Nice. Now, now, as far as orchestration, I, I didn't really get uh, what. So, what was you? What did you do? Uh, did you have a college? education? Uh, oh, yeah. So I went to Rhode Island College. I was there yeah. for what felt like many years. Uh, right. I started in 2004, right out of high school, but I right. kind of was in the, the part-time, uh, at least as far as my classes, because I was still working as a musician and, and music directing throughout college. So I, I ended up with my degree eventually uh, at the end of 2010. It actually says 2011. So right. my, my diploma says 2011. I finished in 2010 because uh, it was an off semester. I had I failed math and I had to go back for one class. Right. <laughs> Figures this one thing. I'm almost done. And one more thing. But um, uh, so but what, what was, was your main? What, what was your main <laughs> oh, study? Yeah, so yes, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I have a BA in music, but I uh, I was fortunate to be able to uh, to play around with my major and almost kind of customize it. I originally thought I wanted to uh, get an education degree. Right. Um, that was that was the original plan. Okay, I'm going to be a music teacher, and then I remember visiting my old high school and just kind of seeing some of the students that were not you know not really with it, not really interested. I'm like, could I really? put myself out in front of a class every day if everyone doesn't really want to be there. Right. And I was kind of having some odds with that. And I'm like, well, let me let me get the BA and kind of do my own thing and see see where I land. Irony being, I ended up teaching in a, a high school yeah. for three years. But um, just, you know, as a teaching uh, uh, a guest artist. Um, right. But um, but yeah, so a BA in music and I, I got to kind of focus on musical theater. My voice teacher, Fred Sheff, was in the national tours of Phantom of the Opera. So he was he was a great fit for me in in developing my classical voice and also, you know, getting some of the musical theater in there. And then uh, as far as piano, I worked with Lila Kane. She's uh, been a music director in the area for a long time. She does a lot of the work at University of Rhode Island. So I was fortunate to be trained by actual, you know, theater professionals. Um, you know, they were teaching me what I needed to learn for the college program, but they were also setting me up to work in the field as a music director. So right. I was just I, curious, did you have oh, any orchestration classes or did yeah, you I did. Kind of, uh, okay. So there was there was one class on orchestration and I felt like the, the professor didn't quite get what I was trying to do. Right. Um, and, and like I felt like the stuff that we, we kind of were covering was just, it was like the real basics. I felt like I had a bit of a leg up on the class because I already knew what all the, the ranges of the various instruments right. were. I kind of had a good idea what they could do. And because I was starting the education program, I, I made a point to start taking all the methods classes. So right. I took strings class, I took the brass class, I took the woodwinds class. And it is incredibly valuable to to know how the instruments physically work yeah. when you're writing for them. It's 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 kind of made a huge difference in the way that I interpret writing a string line, for example, because now I I know what the bowing is going to be like. I know what the you know the intervals on the strings are going to be. I know if it's going to be a really hard thing to play. Um, it's 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 incredibly valuable. Um, but I got I got a really well-rounded um, education at Rowland College. So I was I was very happy with what I got out of it. Yeah, you know, I, I, there's so many ways to study orchestration. Uh, you know, I've got uh, you can't really see it on the shelf behind me, but I've got a bunch of like Dover orchestral scores, you know, and things that I've studied with the recordings. Uh, but I had a classmate uh, that was older than me when I was in grad school named Andrew, and um, he gave me, I think, so the best the best advice is challenging. If, if you really want to get good at orchestration and ear training and just transcription and all that, it says, um, get a score to something, you know, like an orchestral piece and don't, don't open it. 
just take a segment of, of that piece, listen to it, and write down what mm. you think you're hearing. Yep. And then, you know, listen to it several times, do your best, then open up the book and see what actually yep. happened. See how, and yep. if it differs, figure out why, you know, why, why did you not catch that? And just do that with various pieces and eventually get to where you, your ear gets really sharp and you, you understand how to listen for the colors and so forth. Yep. So. Oh, that's, ex and that's kind of where it comes from. Like, cause I've been transcribing things on and off for, for years right. And um, even going back to, I didn't, I didn't mention on there, but um, I don't know if you're aware of a band called the Dresden Dolls. They were really mm -hmm. big in the in the mid 2000s. Um, Amanda Palmer is the is the singer. She's now off doing her own thing, and she's married to Neil Gaiman, the writer. Oh yeah. But anyway, so she had a band. Uh, they're out of Boston, and uh, they, you know, they were very popular in the area. We decided uh, it was my my theater company, East Providence Community Theater. We had a a person working with us that was writing a uh, a musical based on their music they allowed us to use it um mm -hmm. but then it's me writing the piano transcriptions and trying to right. figure out okay what is it that she's playing mm -hmm. so it, 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 go, it goes back even that far um just trying to to work out things right talk about you, you've got a couple of other projects just talk about them so you got sure. one called shrine and you got uh something called the retro hobbyists so what are sure. those so uh, Shrine is a band that uh, that I've been in since 2004. It's it, there's a there's a, a bit of a tragic history. Um, I don't know if you're aware of the the station nightclub fire, but um, mm -hmm. our original lead singer Nick O'Neill uh, died in that fire. 100 people were lost oh. in 2003. It was a, a band called Great White. They lit off some pyrotechnics on stage in a venue that really should not have had pyrotechnics. Oh wow! I do know um, Great White. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah, um, but our our band was was formed in two thousand two. Um, it was it was some of my friends from from high school, and and they got together, started a, a rock band, and so they were going for a, a little while, and then that happened, and Nick passed. And uh, about a year after that, they they asked me if I would you know join them to to get the band going again in his memory. Hmm. And so, um, so we were doing that for for a while, and um, kind of on and off. We were trying to we were trying to make it for a while. I I was uh, endorsed by Kurzweil for a little while. That was really cool. I got to go up and check out their their R and D and and meet Dave Weiser. I don't know if you know Dave. Mm -hmm. His name comes up a lot in the in the music director groups. Um, he ends up doing a lot of the programming for Android Weber these days. Wow! Yeah. So it was uh, great to meet Dave and learn all about the instruments. Um, where was I going with that? <laughs> Uh, sorry, I'm getting a little bit, <laughs> my brain is, is not with me right now. Um, what was the question? <laughs> okay. So, so you're talking about shrine. Uh, oh yes, yes, of course. Yes. So, um, we were doing, we, we'd worked on an album called here and now, and, um, things were just kind of not going where, where we thought they were going to go. I thought we thought the album was going to take off. It didn't take off and our guitarist left, our drummer left. And then we were like, Oh, well, I guess that's it. And then we got nominated for an award from limelight magazine for, for album of the year. Mm -hmm. And so they asked us to play the award ceremony. And so we reunited the band. We won the award Nice. and um, our guitarist came back, but we ended up getting a different drummer and we continued on for a little while. And, um, these days we're not doing so much, um, especially, you know, with the pandemic, obviously. But um, I just found out a little while ago that um, our present lead singer, my friend of, you know, many years, John Brennan, is going to be moving up to Maine. So I don't think we're going to be doing a whole lot going forward. Um, you know, probably the occasional thing, but we've been we've been keeping it going for a long time. And so in the band, I, I, I we trade off on lead vocals. I play keys. He also plays keys and we do a lot of classic rock inspired covers. And so 
I pretend to be a tenor and sing Journey in Kansas and all that stuff. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and uh, yeah. And what about your? Uh, this is a YouTube project. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is a new thing. I've I've always been into kind of you know retro technology. So right now I'm kind of going through this renaissance where I'm trying to explore the things that I might have missed out on on my youth. So I follow a lot of uh, YouTube channels that that kind of explore these topics. And I thought, hey, well, let me give it a shot myself and see if I can kind of bring my personal spin to uh, just kind of being an enthusiast to all things retro. Nice. Okay. Well, we haven't really talked about you as a performer in theater. We, we kind of focused it on the orchestration transcription. Um, but let's just kind of really quickly, um, favorite horror story from the pit and let's follow that up with a fond memory. Okay. So I, I think the one that I'm going to go with is it's not something that specifically happened in the pit, but it happened on leading to getting to the pit. Okay. I was uh, living in, in Providence and I had some housemates and um, I had uh, it was into the woods. I was playing the piano book right. for a high school production. And so uh, earlier in the day, I was I was out with one of my roommates. And uh, at some point I had put my keys in his glove box. Mm. And so you maybe can see where this is going. Right. So we get home. I forget that I leave my keys in the glove box. It's time to leave to to get to call. I can't find my keys anywhere. Mm. My roommate, my roommate is out on a rendezvous. With, with, with someone else, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll leave that ambiguous, right. and so I cannot reach him. And uh, so I, I tell them, like, hey, I can't get there. So the bassoonist was on his way, and he turned around, came, picked me up, and, and brought me to the theater. And it was a, probably about 20 minutes after the show had supposed to, was supposed to start when I finally arrived, but everyone was very kind and understanding, nice. and, you know, we did the show, and everything was fine. But uh, it's, it's still one of those horror stories where you're like, you, you, you never you never deliberately want to to not be there, but then something happens and, and there you are. Nice. And what's a fond memory that uh, from your time in doing shows? It, it was so hard to pin this down, but I can kind of give you the, the kind of thing that, that really gets to me it is when I am able to kind of uh, kind of like live out the, the fantasy that I would have when I'm like listening to the cast album. Right. So there's certain moments in, in shows where, where when all the stars are kind of aligned and you, you have these moments where everything just kind of clicks. So like uh, there's moments like that in, in uh, Les Miserables, for example, the that, that finale of the epilogue scene. Oh, yeah. And especially when it drops down to uh, do you hear the people sing? Right. And you can just it's I, I've had so many moments where I'm, I'm conducting and I'm just trying not to cry my face off. Right. <laughs> you know, just because everything is just so beautiful. But that that that's that's kind of a moment. But I mean, I just have a bunch of shows that that I, you know, would just do over and over and over again if I had the chance. Like Jesus Christ Superstar is one. I heard your interview with uh, Matthew Croft right. recently talking about that. That's just a show that I somehow do not get sick of. Yep. And it being a 90 minute show just makes it so easy. Just like, all right, let's get up there, do it and have a good time. And oh, it's done before you know it. 13 by Jason Robert Brown. That's another one. I've only done that one once, but I, I had a blast every time I did it. Hmm. Um, yeah. OK. Uh, so last thing, where can people follow you or find out more about your projects? Sure. Um, I, I kind of need to do a bit of an overhaul on my on my social media, but I have a lot of my my music direction background and, and things that I do on alexterrell.com and uh, I post a lot on 
Instagram when I'm out on my walks or taking photos of the shows I'm working on. So that's at Alex Terrell. And of course, I'm trying to build up this uh, the thing with the retro hobbyist. So pretty much all social media platforms, the retro hobbyist. And hopefully nice. there'll be something up on it by the time this podcast comes out. So. Right. Okay, well, I'm going to congratulate myself for not getting electrocuted while... Oh, I hear it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, you should see... Uh, I should take a picture of, of this at some point, but, yeah, I may, I may try to get some of the thunder out when I'm not talking, but you may hear it while I'm talking. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but thank you for taking time to chat with me today. Sure, yeah, thank you for having me. And that wraps up episode 57, so... Thank you again for your patience. I will be finalizing this and uploading this. Uh, so uh, hopefully in about 15 minutes after I press save, I will have this episode out to you. Um, it'll probably actually be about three weeks before the next episode. This is one of those five-week months, and I do have something uh, coming up in a couple weeks. So it'll probably be around August 13th, but I will have another episode for you coming soon. And I uh, just wanted to make you aware of that. As a reminder, if you do want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music, or on Twitter or Facebook at David M. Lane Music. And as always, a special thank you to Mark Perolo for his cover art, and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about the podcast, leave feedback, or leave a donation at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and be sure to follow. And please share with your friends. Thank you for listening. 